Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is championed. I am Sharissa Wood, a practicing dental hygienist who wants to share my passion for all things hygiene and the oral systemic connection to help empower, encourage, and equip you listeners. Bulletproof Hygiene's ultimate goal is to bring knowledge and tools that facilitate optimal patient care, healthy team culture, and professional fulfillment. If you are a growth-minded hygienist or dental professional looking to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene, then you're in the right place. Now, let's dive in and become Bulletproof together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of the Bulletproof Hygiene. I am so excited to have you joining us this week. And Before I really dig into our topic, I have some exciting news. I wanted to share that we have our upcoming summit happening for 2024, and I do not want you to miss out. So go ahead and put it on your calendar. Go ahead and go to the website, get booked, bring your team, because that is the most beneficial way to become Bulletproof is to do this together with your team. So you will find all the information at bulletproofsummit.com. And the dates are June 14th and 15th. And this year we are going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona. So don't miss it. Check it out. If you have any questions, hit us up on the website. I hope to see you there. So today's episode is sort of a follow-up episode that I did with Dr. Katie Lee um, a few months back. And if you hadn't had a chance to listen to that, go back and listen to it. It was a great episode. It's 128 called Saved by the Mouth with Dr. Katie Lee. And she really discusses the technology and benefits of utilizing um, some different assessment tools, but specifically she talks about the AMMP8 testing. And honestly, it was a brand new concept and information to me. And so you guys know me, I'm a a life learner. I love new information. So I thought if I'm going to go on this journey and learn more about this, I will bring you guys along with me. So that is what today is about. And I am super excited to be joined by Summer Lamoureux, a fellow hygienist who is a recognized speaker, writer, and educator. She's focused on the advancement of oral health care through education and proven technologies. She graduated from New York University College of Dentistry and has dedicated her professional career to improving patients' health outcomes, as well as advancing and advocating for dental medical integration and the mouth-body connection. She currently serves as the director of the Pacific Dental Services University Institute of Dentistry and Hygiene Operations. As a continuing education provider and a Nevada-based board-approved laser instructor, She seeks to educate clinicians on the role of inflammation in the body and the management of systemic disease. In her recent work, she has been heavily dedicated to the study and integration of predictive technologies into the dental setting. Some of these initiatives include biomarker screenings of active matrix metalloproteinase 8, which is at AAMP8, pathogenic salivary testing, HbA1c screenings, and even carotid artery imaging. So Summer, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to learn from you today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, likewise, Charissa. I'm I'm super happy to be here and, and collaborate and learn more and offer what I know. Awesome. I love it. Well, will you kick us off just telling us a little more about you, kind of your journey from, you know, hygiene school to where you are now? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So um, interestingly, or maybe not so interestingly, um, 
My career in dentistry started kind of uh, on a whim when I was 17. Um, my best friend said, let's go be dental assistants. My parents were advocates of getting a trade versus investing into higher education, just not how I was. I, I grew up. So I was like, oh, well, I understand what a dental assistant does. They polish teeth, you know, always had a good experience. So that's kind of my segue. When I was 17, I became a dental assistant and I was fortunate enough that I um, started working at Loma Linda University in the international dentist program. That really sparked that higher level education and awareness for me and that drive to want to do more and le learn more. So it kind of segued from there. I started working on my prereqs and, and learning from international dentists from all over the world and different philosophies and approach. And um, I eventually became a dental hygienist graduating from Loma Linda and I've been with Pacific Dental Services since 2009 and just kind of worked my way through seeing patients and leading some different initiatives. And now I'm lucky enough to support clinicians alike in our platform and advocate for a lot of different change within dentistry. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you. So on my podcast and pretty much with any hygienist I get to interact with, I keep talking about. And then just out in the community, we keep hearing about oral systemic health. It's a big topic right now. It's a big shift that dentistry is going through. And as Director of Hygiene Operations and Education, I'd like to dig into what this truly means from your vantage point and how dental hygienists can prepare themselves and change their approach to truly embrace this, the, the oral systemic care model. Yeah. So when we think about dental medical integration, the concept is phenomenal. Um, there is so much more that we can do as oral health care providers for our patients. But unfortunately, at least in my experience, there is a gap. And that gap is pretty segmented. We do not take a medical approach typically. Um, I like to say we, you know, it's quantitative versus qualitative. Dentistry historically has been very qualitative. And what we do, and what I mean by that is we do assessments, we take x-rays, we do probings, we look at the medical history, and we kind of just formulate this puzzle and this reasonable assumption, or it's even reactive in, in a sense. By the time we're managing disease, it's because that disease has been set in and it's been set in for however long. And then the gaps on trying to get patients to understand We're now we're at this pivotal point in dentistry, this paradigm where we can actually start taking some of that medical approach to more precision and personalized healthcare. And so from my vantage point, I'm very fortunate to be in a well-supported structure where our CEO, Steve Thorne, is very what we call mouth-body focused. And that is outcome-based through precision healthcare. We no longer just have to go that qualitative route. We can actually have proven results. And when we use the combination of both, that's when we can um, have better outcomes for our patients and even predictive outcomes, which I'll talk more about here in a little bit for our patients, really elevate our role as a dental hygienist 
and understand what treatment modalities we are doing or not doing for our patients and why we might be getting a response or not getting a response. So there's a, a much larger picture in store. And I, I, unfortunately, fortunately, we are just at the tipping point of that. We're in that learning phase and I certainly don't hold all the answers and I'm here to learn from you. Teresa, we talked about this the other day. You know, there's a lot of different things happening in dentistry. And I tell you what, uh, from the day I graduated to now, it has changed dramatically. And I, li I like to be really open and upfront on the way I practice. I went to a very good school. I was very happy with my education. But the way I practiced at that time, because we didn't know any better, is through just that general assessment. And for instance, a great example of that is looking at that medical history and basically just going to my mind, can I give epi or not? How's the blood pressure? Are, are they going to survive today's treatment? Is it safe? You know, of course, I mean, it was very intentional that we want to have good, um, solid outcomes and have no medical emergencies, but it really wasn't putting together that bigger picture. And then most importantly, how do we manage it lifelong and help that patient through the progress? Yeah, it's um, because everything is in such a learning curve and there is so much new information, um, it feels daunting, to be honest, and it feels uncomfortable. Um, and I think that's where a lot of us get stuck is we don't know all the answers yet. And we want that, you know, kind of clear cut map and guide to say, hey, these are the steps you take. This is how you do it. And I think the reality right now is I think the goal should be that we're all taking steps forward, embracing new learning, but understanding and giving ourselves grace that it we are learning and we don't have all the answers, but we got to be doing better than what we have been doing in the past. I think that's a really, really important point to make. Um, you know, as we embrace this concept of new and really looking at full body health, there's a newer buzz phrase on the scene that I'm hoping you can help us grasp, and that is molecular technology. Yeah. Will you help us understand what that is and how it's being applied in dentistry? Yeah, absolutely. Circling back to your comment too, I like to tell people we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And none of us as healthcare providers necessarily love that. We want to be able to speak efficiently and understand what's happening and um, kind of how do we frame that to our patients with what we do know and don't know and being okay with telling them, I don't have the answer, but this is what I do know. And that as we break into the molecular technology space and that precision healthcare, that's really the world when you first start embarking that you're going to be living in is that uncomfortable, but you're going to start to become more comfortable. And the more you learn and the more you just expose yourself and create those workflows and create that consistency and that drive and that continual passion to learn, the more connected those dots start to connect and the simpler it becomes. So um, that is really, I would say, the pivotal key to molecular technology is it is new. And it's new to dentistry, I should say. It's definitely not new on the medical side of things, but really just embarking and start thinking about what does molecular technology mean? And again, it goes back to that qualitative versus quantitative. We can then and now do actual assessments, whether they be lab processed or even point of care. And that means at chair side in five minutes, 
run some screenings or testing, depending on what you're doing and see patient results. And that's really pivotal or pivotal. I, I, I don't know why I love that word so much and always mispronounce it, but it's really pivotal in what we do. Because we can move from that reactive standpoint into what I call the new preventative. Thinking back to what I learned as preventative as sealants and profies and so on and so forth. But now we have this technology and we'll dive more into what that means that can help us assess and kind of screen to see and recognize disease processes before actual destruction has taken place. And that should be our mindset on that new preventative model of dentistry versus the old preventative understanding. Yes, I feel like so many hygienists right now, I feel like there needs to be a mission that we completely change the way that hygiene is done. Because what I run into are a lot of hygienists who say, well, how do I fit this into what I'm doing? How do I fit salivary testing in? Or how do I fit, you know, looking at the A1C, like how does that fit into what I've, what I've already got going? And I, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and I, and I said, you know, honestly, what, what I would love to see happen in hygiene is instead of having that first visit where the patient come in, comes in expecting that they're going to get their teeth cleaned and polished, yep. that instead they're coming in and they're doing just pure assessments to see what is actually going on before we actually consider any kind of treatment, because looking at all of the assessments available and especially looking at the more of these molecular technology kind of things, really digging in and seeing what is happening with this patient. Because the reality, like you said, there may be some things in the background that haven't quite manifested yet mm -hmm. and we could catch it before they do. And that I'm in total agreement with you. That is true prevention. And that is where I hope we're going. So if you're listening to this, you know, as someone who's practicing full-time with you, I get it. I understand. I know the hurdles. I know the time issues. I don't think the answer is trying to cram more of these things into your existing time. I think it's going to come with reorienting what that time looks like and what that order looks like. And I think that's the key to all of this because that's where we get stagnant is we think, oh no, I don't have time for that. And I think it's got to be a total shift of, nope, we're going to do this in a different order in a different way. Yeah. And just to kind of chime in on what you said, you know, I think as dental hygienists or even healthcare providers in general, we're time boxing ourselves, right? I have an hour, I have 45 minutes and, and there's always an expect to do more with less time and more frequency. And I wouldn't negate that to some degree, but if we really understand our workflow, what we're trying to achieve, and to be honest, how quick and efficient, this can actually speed up your process of care because we're no longer throwing anything at the book to try to help and manage, but we're taking a very precision approach because we have those key elements to know what's going on maybe through their interleukin-6, uh, which is their genetic natural response to inflammatory. I'm a great example of that. Even though I'm a dental hygienist, I have a high IL-6. So my likelihood for disease development or response to treatment is probably going to be less than someone that doesn't. And so if I know these things or the type of pathogen I'm dealing with and what's going might work better for this patient or even down to AMMPA, those collagenase levels, if those, that collagen is breaking down, we actually, in theory, 
have more time to work with that patient because I can now take that predictive care approach. So now we're not putting them into a disease management. So really knowing and building that confidence on a, what this is and how a 30 second swish essentially can change healthcare outcomes and also increase your efficiency and the patient's response to treatment is probably one of the challenging aspects that we have to conceptualize. But the reality is it actually, and we find that it increases efficiency and outcomes. Yes, I love that. That's everyone's goal. Right. So that being said, will you talk me through what testing you look at and recommend for this predictive type of treatment? Yeah, so we do several different types of testing, um, but I would say, you know, we're doing HbA1c screenings and obviously glucose plays a bi-directional role in periodontal disease and other uh, uh, systematic diseases. But right now, what has really been um, extremely beneficial in workflow and also that proper assessment is the screening of the AMMPA that you had mentioned and what that is, it's an activated matrix metalloproteinase, fun to say. And that is a, a, an essential building block. I'm going to simplify this uh, very quickly here. But it's essential building block of what a periodontal ligament is composed of. We have lots of different MMPs throughout our body. They have different roles. And they're essentially building blocks for our body. The challenge to those building blocks is when those collagenases start to become affected because of um, different pathogens or response to treatment, then they start creating that destruction level that's happening on a molecular level. So we can't physically see it. That damage is not present. This is a precursor to those processes. So it's creating those pathways in that periodontal ligament specifically, because we're looking at the eighth AMMPA, is that it's creating that pathway or it's cutting those ligaments that allows for then pathogenic and viruses to start invading the tissue and then eventually start destructing bone. So in that process of assessment that you mentioned, it's very simple. Everybody's workflow kind of varies slightly different, but in our assessment process, this is no different than taking an x-ray and gaining periocharting. And it takes 30 seconds. So in our current process, what we would do is do a flow mouse series or bite wings, whatever the patient is there for, and then have them do this 30 second swish. And while that test is running over roughly five minutes or so, I'm then gathering my periocharting and doing my clinical assessment. Those results are then back, which is interesting because by the time I'm done with my assessment to see that there's maybe some pocketing or bleeding or different inflammatory levels, I then have this quantitative backing to have a really insightful and fruitful discussion with the patient. Now, I'm sure we've all ran into uh, the situation of maybe a new patient that we're assessing and we're telling them that they have disease and disease processes happening, but they've been going to another office or they have no pain or whatever, and they don't tend to trust us. So not only does it help those conversations because their score is autonomous to their score and their rating, 
it solidifies what we know, what we assessed as an oral health care provider and builds that trust. So then it kind of limits those conversations and those questions that we get of refusal or whatever those might look like because it provides that backing. So the assessment is super quick. It's a super quick process and it actually validates what we're finding in the mouth or even, hey, this is the best time to treat because we have AMEP pH levels that are somewhat stabilized or you, your immune response is working really well at this given moment. So that's interesting, just, just what you said there at the end. So if you had someone whose levels weren't great, is that going to delay treatment? No. So no. this okay. is not, yeah. So it's important to understand the, the physiology of AMMPH and how these different collagenases work and the breakdown process. You know, our bodies and periodontal disease are episodic in nature. And so we can have good sustained control on a patient uh, for a time being. Patient can then have external stresses, pick up new habits, have some medical conditions arise. And then all of a sudden they're like, Summer, I haven't changed my oral health habits at all. I've been flossing, you know, 12 times a day when we're, you know, stink eyed looking at them going, is that really true? You know, so we get to know our patients but sometimes we don't have an answer for them. Yep. And the true answer is our body goes through, through episodes. And this allows us to assess not only breakdown, but also how their immune response is responding in that given moment. So the need is the need based upon a clinical assessment, but where I would say that this enhances what we can do is on that predictive measure. So for instance, when we start to see gingivitis, but before gingivitis sets in, there's inflammatory properties that have to happen. Right. So if we can catch inflammatories properties happening because of elevated AMMP biomarker screening, we then can anticipate what the next phase of that is going to be and hopefully walk them through that and offer them services that would be an indication of whatever the clinical need is. So we always want to make sure our diagnosis or the doctor's diagnosis mirrors what the patient is having, but we can take a more holistic approach. And again, that precision healthcare approach that's outcome-based. Got it. So help me understand. I understand when we're talking about, um, you know, doing something like an oral DNA test and it's looking for the pathogens, but if we're also including you know, looking for the IL-6 gene. Mm -hmm. I know that, that that gene, that's never going to change. That's who they are. Is that the same situation with the AMMP8 or is that going to fluctuate as well, depending on where the patient is? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So a couple of things on that. AMMP8 levels or MMPs, um, we actually call them activated because that's what we're looking for is that activation when they're activated and those absolutely can change over time. So um, for simplicity, I kind of like to explain it like this. It's a patient that we know has um, uh, diabetes, okay, type two diabetes. They can test themselves at home in real time. And in real time, that report or that measurement right then might say, hey, your sugar's good and controlled. But four hours later, or whatever those factors are, they went and ate a candy bar, they didn't exercise, whatever that factor might be, it might have an activated mole uh, molecular response in that moment. So 
AMMPA is very consistent into how the immune response is working right now, right? And so as clinicians, I think that is where understanding that process can be a little challenging. And really, when we think about it, it's just activated immune response. And those levels that are heightened are of great concern. Those levels that are sustained and lower is a good indication that whatever the patient was doing, it's sustaining in that moment. But the importance of continual screening in conjunction with their perio maintenances or what have you to ensure that not only are the clinical changes positive, but also the immune response. So we kind of want them to mirror one another. And the long term, such as checking, you know, three month HbA1c levels, getting that three month reading, then we can dive deeper with IL six testing or pathogen testing with oral DNA and different factors that were different testing labs to really dial in on what could be affecting those episodic AMMPA levels. Got it. And that answers one of my questions because I was thinking, well, gosh, if I see a patient in my chair and they are raging infection, you know, there's no question we know that we are in a disease state here. Would you still check that AMMP8 level? But I'm guessing you would because you want to be able to follow that marker as you're treating to make sure that those levels are improving. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, it's really critical that when we're assessing, we are gathering baseline information. And that is really the depiction of how we can assess health in conjunction with rate of progression. So something that's really fantastic about AMMPH screening is it's very indicative. There's tons of studies out there showing that those uh, readings or the, those levels and results are very indicative in accordance with AA guidelines. So um, staging and grading, specifically grading. So if we are having levels for oral fitness check, um, which is the saliva rinse, if we're having levels less than 10, that's indicative that that patient's immune response is more in conjunction with maybe a grade A. When we start getting into those 10s to 20s or 10 to 19, I should say, that there's um a progression currently happening. Anything above that is very significant progression. Now, to be very clear here, I wouldn't only stage and grade or grade a patient based upon a molecular test. There's, you know, the, the actual, you know, indirect and direct evidence that also plays a role, but it is a great indicator and correlation to the disease that we're gaining control or we're still having episodic nature. And just to further that point, one more is when we start seeing those screenings happen and those numbers are coming back extremely elevated. Um, we have patients that screen very high, 300 plus, 200 plus, anything above a 30 or even a 20 for that matter is pretty aggressive active breakdown. And so this has been a really fantastic tool to help patients also understand the importance of further testing. And what I mean by that is this helps establish those workflows. You mentioned um, saliva testing for pathogen. One of the challenges with the, that, and we performed almost 40,000 uh, oral DNA screenings last year, testings on patients. We're um, a heavy utilizer in the mouth-body connection and having that proven 
results and knowing what pathogen we're tackling here at Pacific Dental Services. But one of the challenges is acceptance. Patients don't understand it. This is new to dentistry. Sometimes as clinicians, we're not great at explaining it or simplifying it. But screening with AMMPA through that five-minute point-of-care test allows us to have one simple dialogue with the patient of Sharice, I'm going to be doing your clinical assessment today, part of my assessment. I'm going to be doing a salivary screening. If your numbers come back elevated, I'm going to recommend or order further testing. So when your numbers then come back and they're of concern, I can now have a supported conversation that I've already set a ground base layer and expectation to you as my patient that I need to now understand why this is happening. We see it clinically, but what's going on um, uh, with your specific immune response, as well as what pathogen are we dealing with? So it is a great segue tool um, for us as clinicians to learn, but also to help build bridge those conversations and outcomes for our patients. Nice. So what you're speaking to is something that all of us feel as we start thinking about something new um, is patient push pushback, right? Because right. for years we've dealt with patient pushback on x-rays. <laughs> like that's like, oh my gosh. Yep. So when we start thinking about new technologies and things like this, and especially when we think honestly, hey, I'm not super comfortable with this yet. How do I explain this to this patient? Um, how do you manage the, the patient communication on that front and the pushback that can come from that avenue? Yeah. So just kind of um, rewinding that a little bit. Patient pushback typically happens for a couple of reasons. Um, and I myself am guilty of thinking this, that it has to do with maybe fees, but typically what we see, and in my experience, it's not so much uh, cost related, it's from a value perspective. And where does value come from? That comes from us as healthcare providers. And, um, I'm very, very transparent. When I was learning all of this stuff over the last, you know, I've been in dentistry 25 years, so probably 20 years starting to learn these different things. Uh, it was challenging. It was overwhelming. And being able to have a conversation and express the value and the need and the why is critical for preventing patient pushback. Of course, you're always going to have it and that's okay. And understanding as a healthcare provider, my patients have a right to say no, they have a right to choose. And I got to be okay with that. But I think we take that personally, at least I did. Um, but really assessing, do I understand this clinically? Can I, do I understand it enough to explain it very simply? And then third, do I understand it enough to help my patient make a good decision for the healthcare. If I can say yes to all of those things, then I don't have to own my patient's choice right. on saying no. I simply provided them with the tools, the education, and the proper value of these things. And it was their choice to accept or not. So I don't own their decision, but I own my part in being able to explain the need and the value of that decision. So I think um, in short, when we think about that pushback from patients, we just have to be really cognizant that we can't own our patients' choices. And in fact, that's why I'm here, is to provide education, tools, resources, and a choice. 
And if I negate what I own in that decision, but I make sure I am providing that value, that's okay. It is okay. Awesome. Awesome answer. And I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I always say we, we are the guide on this journey, but the patient gets to be the hero. They get to be the ones to say yes or no. It's our job to just guide them to the options, show them how it's going to benefit them, and then let them make that choice. Because it, it takes ownership on the patient's part if they're going to move forward with treatment. It does. And I think it's really important too that when we provide that value, that we don't have to know everything. And sometimes we get asked questions. I get asked questions all the time. I've never thought of, I don't know. I'm like, I've never thought of that. Um, and I used to take that so like, I don't know enough, right? right. Personally, um, even coming into this conversation, I may be asked a question that I don't know, or I haven't experienced or whatever my situation is. And being able to say, you know, Sharice, I don't have the answer to that. And I don't know, but that's a great question. And be able to be confident to tell your patient that. But what you do know is this. And this is what you can give them and tell them and, and share with them and provided your experience. And I think the more transparent you are with your patients and vulnerable in saying, I don't know, because that's hard for me to say, I don't know, or, or to feel like that's going to make them lose trust in me as a healthcare provider. How does my healthcare provider not know that answer? I don't know everything, but this is what I do know. And I think that creates a lot of trust. Yes. is being vulnerable and being, I'm a patient too. You're a patient too. We're all patients and just sitting in their shoes and having that transparent dialogue is really what creates that value. Like I said, which creates that case acceptance or helping patients um, lead them to better healthcare decisions. Yes. I love it. I could not agree more. Well, help me then with, with all this information that we've discussed, would you share what you think an ideal hygiene appointment would look like incorporating the, this sorts of testing? Yeah. Um, so to me, the idea, uh, the ideal hygiene appointment is not one that is so regimented in what we know. Um, and I think that was challenging for me as a healthcare provider of like, but this is what we do. We do x-rays, a probe, and I perform a cleaning. And then I put them on a three-month maintenance, right? And, and that is a very holistic or generalized approach. And so to me, having a clear defined workflow is important. But knowing that there's going to be variables because we're providing, again, that precision medicine that is based upon that patient. And so not being so rigid and being a little more flexible to learning and going, hey, you know, I know we've tried this modality. I mean, adjunctives, whatever adjunctives you're utilizing in your practices, what do those adjunctives target? You know, I speak to a lot of clinicians and may it be bacterial decontamination with lasers. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, I'm Nevada board approved to teach lasers. And it's interesting because if I ask a hygienist, they're like, oh, I'm already trained on lasers. And I'm like, oh, okay, what laser, what wavelength were you trained on? They don't know sometimes. And I can't say that I didn't know when I first learned. It was just like, okay, I know how to do this. So knowing what 
modalities, what those modalities target, and then knowing the molecular science or uh, the AMMP8 levels or also the pathogen that we're targeting, we know that arrestin will work on these type of pathogen, but not these. We know that, you know, chlorhexidine or whatever you're using in your different practices, you're going to have better response with an informed decision. And that means that that appointment might look slightly different in the treatments or the remedies that we provide or the home care options that we provide. But the general consensus and structure of the appointment and workflow doesn't vary, right? We still right. have our process. And so uh, I, I really think the key to the future of what hygiene looks like is an intentional approach to outcomes. And that first, in my mind, has to go from a shift that I like to say is we don't clean teeth. If we're going into clean teeth and keep people on a three-month perio maintenance, we probably aren't doing as well as we can or doing better, not only for ourselves, but for our patients. Whereas if we treat and manage disease, there's a big difference in that and really honing in on what that means to you. Secondary to that would be understanding your clinical philosophy. I talk about this a lot and sometimes we don't know, and it depends on where you're at in your career, is assessing that process on where you're at. If you just graduated right now, it might be just gain some experience, speed up on your time. If you're four years in, it might be, hey, I'm looking for growth and opportunity, whatever, or maybe dental medical integration, taking more proven technologies and investigating that, really knowing what you want to be, what kind of healthcare provider you want to be, and going out there to seek that because it exists, but it's challenging. And sometimes you might be on your own, but there's a network such as yourself and different, lots of different things happening with AOSH and that's Academy of Oral Systemic Health and different factors that you can be a part of to start learning how to do these things. So there's a lot of factors that can really help with that, but just don't go in with a one size fits all approach and go in with that knowledge through that molecular testing and provide that to your patients. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. That's super helpful. Um, to wrap up, will you give us some just tips for kind of where to start for a hygienist who's listening today and saying, oh gosh, MMPA, um, you know, you mentioned that you call it, you call it the oral fit test. Yeah. Oral fitness check. Correct. Okay. And so that is a 30, 30 second swish in the chair. You have an answer in five minutes. I'm going to, um, link to the show notes where to go to find out some more information on that. What does that typically look like as a charge to the patient? Yeah, so um, charges can vary because every practice Absolutely. is different. And as far as coding and different things, um, that's something that we you would have to investigate as far as procedural codes. The one thing I would say about that is there's a lot of payers. So insurances looking at these different testings because Hate to tell it to you guys, you know, insurance companies are for profit, right? We all know that. And, um, but this is uh, inherently intriguing them because of cost savings to them. So, you know, looking at these different factors is really important. The other factor that I would say is really important uh, for you as a hygienist is to understand where you're at in your medical and dental understanding. 
and really assess I'm at entry level, I'm beginner level, and no, it's going to take time and you're never going to stop learning. And just when you think you're at a solid point, something gets thrown at you. I, um, I expressed that throughout my journey and I still uh, express that. And then really know your workflow to make any type of adaption to new technology, new processes. If in your own personal workflow, there's a lot of variables, like you're not consistently period charting or you, you don't just have a good process, then it's going to be really challenging to integrate even something as 30 seconds because then there's not that consistent testing happening. And while you're learning as a healthcare provider, the likelihood of you following that through when there's um, uh, not a consistent workflow and then an education barrier, it's not going to be very successful. So create those workflows, those processes, and that'll build that confidence. And then you just got to commit to it. You got to commit to the excellence. You got to not own your patient's answers for no's. But if you're sensing that they're saying no, because you don't know how to simply explain it to them, or you don't have the front office, back office, dentist, whatever the situation is on a team calibration, how can you tighten that in? You're going to commit to consistency because you're committing to better healthcare outcomes. And then last is simplicity is key. It does not need to be this exhaustive dialogue with our patients on what we're doing. It's a simple introduction on the assessment process. And we provide testing or screening, depending on what tests we're performing, so we can get a true assessment. And if your numbers come back elevated, we will order further testing. And it sets that parameters. And then allow your patient to ask if they have a question, oh, you test here, then answer them. But we don't want to spill the knowledge because sometimes it, it overwhelms them and it kind of counteracts. And, and I know, um, you know, I, I was guilty of that in the beginning. I wanted to share all my knowledge and what I was learning and it just became overwhelming. Yes. So we fire hose our patients. Yes. You say um, that again. I said, we, we end up fire hosing our patients with information and yeah, they left like, they leave like a deer in the headlights. Um, yeah, I want to add one other point. Cause I love what you're saying. Um, I think you always have to start foundationally. You've got to have that foundation in place of what you're doing. And then I will say, I don't, I do, I always say, I do not know where this phrase came from, but it's, they always say it's like eating an elephant one bite at a time. Yep. I have seen, and, and I'm guilty of this too. You know, you see all the options you think, oh my gosh, I want to do all the things and that's not realistic. So yep. I would encourage if you're hearing, oh, this sounds interesting to me, but I don't know about that. Like, like you said, figure out who you are, what your what your va what your values are, what you need to learn. Aosh and I tout them all the time is such a great place to really dig in and learn about the oral systemic connections. Bail Dean Bail certification is a great way to do it, but you've got to understand how everything's connecting to really know the why behind why you want to look at these things. And so, you know, maybe it's you start with the a A1C testing first, and then you build and do the AMMPA or the, the salivary testing, but don't try to dive in and do everything at once because that will absolutely cause stagnation and it'll create confusion for everyone. So it is a building block approach, which actually is really exciting in hygiene. Yep. You know, at this point, we shouldn't be bored in what we're doing because there's so many options out there. Look around, see what makes the most sense to you. Do that thing, get really good at it. And then look around for something else, because I do think the paradigm is shifting and we are going to be making big changes, but small steps at a time. Yeah, absolutely. 
And, and in those baby steps, to your point, AMMPA could be a really easy intro, entry level gateway. It's quick on process. It supports those conversations um, in, in that endeavor of where you want to go as a clinician. I couldn't agree more. Awesome. Well, Summer, I am so appreciative of your knowledge and your passion and your time with us today. Is there anything, any last minute thing you want to leave us with? No, I appreciate your guys' time. I love learning from you. Um, you know, you offer such great value out there for us as hygienists. And, you know, I just want to advocate for us to really know what we want out of what we're giving our patients and, and don't get discouraged. I know there's a lot of hygienists out there that are discouraged with where dentistry is and, uh, but it's going great places. And this is a phenomenal time to be a dental hygienist. And, you know, it's just building that building block and find what you're looking for. I, I couldn't agree more. And for all of you listeners that maybe are looking for some support in the hygiene world, if you have not yet downloaded the Mighty Network app, please do so. It's a free app. Look up Bulletproof Hygiene. Come. It's free to join. And it is a community of hygienists that are here to support one another. So I would love to hear from any of you listeners out there that maybe have util been utilizing the AMPA because I would love some help on that too. But come and join and let's do this together because we cannot, we're not an island. We cannot do this alone. Summer, thank you. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate all that you were with us today. Thanks for having me and Teresa. If you want help doing AMMPA, I'm here to help and I'd be glad to uh, step you through that process so you could speak to your audience. I love that. Thank you. Well, everyone have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye -bye. Thanks for taking your valuable time to invest in yourself and listen to this episode. I hope it's been thought provoking, empowering, and stirred your curiosity. If you've enjoyed this content, please click the subscribe button to catch new episodes or share this episode with your colleagues. To keep track of upcoming Bulletproof events and opportunities, visit bulletproofhygiene.com, or better yet, join the Mighty Network Bulletproof Hygiene community to connect with like-minded dental professionals that share ideas, struggles, and wins. Have a great week, everybody.